It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. You can find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll discuss Joe Judge's latest media session. The team obviously is out in Tucson on the campus of the University of Arizona. That's where they're working out this week before they head Saturday to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. So schedule is a little bit different, but as he always does on a Monday, he did speak to the media, updated injuries and so forth. So we'll get into that. And then we'll look ahead, obviously, to this matchup against a very different Chargers team compared to the one they just met in the Miami Dolphins. So we'll get to your phone calls as we move along as well. And Paul, let's start with Joe Judge's media session because I think obviously everybody's wondering who's in line to be the starting quarterback against the Chargers. Daniel Jones missed the last game with a strained neck. Mike Glennon, we found out, was diagnosed with a concussion. So Joe Judge said Glennon's now through concussion protocol, which was expected. Daniel Jones getting second opinions with other medical experts. And Jake Fromm right now, assuming that nothing dramatically changes with those other two on Wednesday, would probably be getting the bulk of the first team reps. That's right. And Brian Lewerke, the former Michigan State guy who was on the practice squad, would be at the moment (laughs) elevated, I would assume, to be in the backup quarterback if numbers one and two are unavailable for Sunday's game. The other thing you've got to worry about is that Jerry Shaplinski, the Giants quarterbacks coach, uh, tested positive for covid And so, you know, he's in the protocol right now. And Joe Judge said, look, uh, given that there could be some unexpected COVID issues because of Coach Szaplinski, they may also, there's a potential, you don't want to emphasize it because it's certainly not a high chance, but there's a potential they could also have COVID issues affecting the quarterback room, which means they have to have other possibilities already in their heads should they uh, need an emergency signal caller. Well, but even if they bring in somebody last second, that probably would be a backup quarterback because they wouldn't be with the team, I would think, for the majority of the week to really fully understand the offense. And he also mentioned, Joe Judge, that even though Shuplinski right now is on the COVID reserve list, I know that's really for players and not necessarily for coaches, but he can still interact with the quarterbacks through Zoom, and they were used to doing that last season. So he didn't think that that was going to interrupt in terms of helping Jake continue to grasp the offense from that standpoint but to your point it's just another obstacle and another challenge that they have to deal with Wes Martin by the way the Giants offensive lineman is the other individual that was put on the COVID reserve list in addition to Jerry Shuplinski dealing with COVID issues so hopefully it's not something that expands beyond those two because I mean the whole point of being in Arizona is that they're actually all isolated nobody's going back to their families and going out and about as if they were in New Jersey. So you would think that it's conducive, that environment right now, Paul, to make sure that everybody actually is just interacting with one another and not other individuals. I guess i just like to know how many more landmines this roster has to go through before the season is over. I mean, holy smokes, Lance, this has just been one thing after another. It's just, unfortunately, the nature of today's world and the nature of the NFL really going back to the beginning of 2020. You don't want to see it, but I would say, I think if you ask most coaching staffs, and I think, once again, this is me interpreting what Joe Judge had to say, I think they're sort of used to this. It's become routine where they just know, okay, hey, expect something to come up on Monday or Tuesday based on the COVID reserve list, and we just got to go about our business. And I think teams at this point are just used to it. It's, once again, it's probably annoying. It's one less thing that you want to have to deal with because you got to deal with the injury bug as it is. But I would think that considering Zoom was a prevalent part of preparation last season, I think most coaching staffs and most players, it's almost business as usual at this stage. Yeah, as unfortunate as it sounds, and I know it sounds really horrible when you say it, but having to go through this for a second year in a row probably does make it a tad easier. Now, as far as the task at hand, if Jake Fromm does have to start, the good news for him is this will be a full week of practice that will mm-hmm. have with the team because he joined the team late last week. So there's a little bit more comfort level, similar to what we were talking about, Paul, when 
Glennon knew that Daniel Jones was probably not going to start. He got all the first-team reps, as opposed to when he went in, remember, in the Dallas game. That week, he was just getting all the mental reps. So I think it's beneficial when at least the quarterback, who in all likelihood may start, at least can work with the first team for the bulk of this week's practice. Yeah, and I think there's there's something to that because, look, we saw what happened last week. There was one play in particular that I thought was very obvious when John Ross had run a route, and it was a hot route, and unfortunately for him, he didn't get the read correctly. And so he broke one way, and the pass went the other way because Glennon obviously saw the blitz coming, and he had to get rid of the ball, and the ball fell incomplete. It was clearly a miscommunication between the receiver and the quarterback. Which guy didn't get it? I'm inclined to believe under the circumstances of the play that Ross didn't get it. But those are the kinds of things that you're going to have when a receiving core is not getting enough reps with the guy who's throwing the ball. At least this week, you'd like to believe that there'll be a little bit more consistency with with that communication. And especially since you also have, unlike Mike Glennon, who's a polished veteran, despite the fact that he wasn't getting a lot of first-team reps, Jake Fromm, we're talking about an individual that's never played in a regular season NFL game. So you have a little bit more, I think, added on top of that because Glennon is the type of quarterback, while, yes, the efficiency was not anywhere near they wanted it, at least in the second half, and we don't know when he suffered the concussion, but Fromm doesn't have nearly as much experience as Mike Glennon, so it's a little bit different, I think, in terms of the dynamics. You're talking about an inexperienced quarterback on top of a quarterback that's not very familiar with your scheme. You'd like to believe, though, that based on what Joe Judge said, that they're prepping for the happenstance that Fromm may have to be the starter, that he's getting a ton of, of opportunities to throw to those guys. Look, I know they're out at uh, the University of Arizona in Tucson. Now, I don't care if Fromm and a couple of his receivers, or at least two or three of them, I don't know how many there could be, I don't care if they've got to go out there on the field by themselves. We know the CBA regulates what you can do with the coaches on the field. But if I'm Jake Fromm, I'm telling as many of those receivers as I can, you got an extra hour after practice today? Let's go outside and just stay out there and start throwing these routes. And if they can't do it outside, I don't know what the circumstances are in terms of the field availability or the lighting. I would say get to the conference room in that hotel complex and just throw, 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 and throw some more. I don't know. Do they have an indoor facility in uh, at the University of Arizona? I don't know. But find some place where you can do extra reps throwing the ball to those receivers. It can make all the difference in the world. Joe Judge even alluded to what you were talking about, and I understand there's CBA restrictions where maybe the coaches can't be on top of the players, but here's the thing. No one's going home as if they were in New Jersey. It's basically from the hotel to the practice field, and then maybe they're going to have a group activity, Joe Judge mentioned, perhaps later in the week. So time is extremely at their disposal, Paul, I would argue. I don't think there's anything standing in the way of Jake Fromm putting in additional work with the receivers. The offense overall, they can easily do that all by themselves. And remember, I know practice may get started a little bit late, but they're on the West Coast in Arizona. So with the time difference, I don't really think the lighting is going to be an issue, especially if they're you know starting near or equivalent that you know the coaches are. They're going to get up early on East Coast time to prep for this game. So, I mean, I would think that that wouldn't be an issue. I would think they could easily get on the practice field. And remember, Arizona, the season's over for the Wildcats. So it's not like the field is going to be utilized by the college team. So I don't really think that there's many obstacles that would be standing in the way. I would think that would be extremely beneficial. Well, I, I don't want to speak for the school, so I don't know what else they might have going on. But here's what I will say, okay? Uh, I know the Giants have some receivers who are a bit nicked up or, you know, they get these load days off, these these veteran days off, these load management days off. Look, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. If I'm Jake Fromm, I'm like, guys, I need you out there to throw. And that's it. Just do it. Well, I would think that the players that are healthy would not have the excuse of the veteran day off. I mean, for example, I don't even remember Kenny Galladay getting a veteran day off here or there. Granted, he's been dealing with some injuries, but ever since he returned, I don't think that that has stood in his way. And guys like Darius Slayton and John Ross and Colin Johnson, I don't think there would be anything that would prevent them from putting in additional work. Because, you know, like I said, you're on campus, you're not at home, 
other than sitting in your hotel room and maybe studying the playbook and maybe catching a dinner with some of your teammates, it's not as if you know they have family priorities that they could take care of at this point. Nobody's around them. So if anything, you might as well capitalize and take advantage of the time you have amongst your teammates. In addition to, obviously, I know Joe Judge, the reason why he wanted to bring the team out to Arizona was from a bonding perspective. But I think the bigger benefit, Paul, is in a typical week, when guys leave the practice facility, they're going on to take care of other obligations in their life. I'm not saying that they're not studying football at home, but any other chores that you may have, like any other individual, you don't have that as an excuse to do because you're not home this time. So you might as well use that additional time to work with, especially if you're on the offensive side of the ball, with a young, inexperienced quarterback who's still trying to get used to the scheme as well as the different routes of the different personnel. So once again, I would be stunned if at the end of this week, if anybody does bring up that question, that players would say, well, we weren't able to put the additional work in because there was this, that, and that. I just mm-hmm. I don't see that happening at all mm-hmm. this week. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the way that this is laid out actually works out quite beneficial for the Giants. Now, with respect to the challenge at hand, they're going up against the Chargers team, and we were inferring this on the postgame show as well as yesterday, very different than Miami. There's a Chargers offense that has been far more consistent in terms of putting up points. I know they had a defensive touchdown off a Joe Mixon fumble on Sunday, but they still, their offense alone, put up in the 30s. I want to get to some injury issues with the Chargers because Brandon Staley actually spoke to the media the other day and I know that there were some reports circulating that Joey Bosa suffered a concussion well Staley updated and said Bosa was actually cleared but he didn't play him the rest of the game because out of precaution they didn't want him to you know God forbid take another hit but he did say he expects Bosa back at practice on Wednesday so if you read between the lines I would think Bosa is in line their top sack guy at seven and a half sacks to play Justin Jones was a little bit banged up he thinks he'll be limited at practice and then on top of that A few of the other guys that have been dealing with injuries, like a Linville Joseph, who was hurt and also on the COVID list, and Asante Samuel Jr., who's coming out of concussion protocol, Staley also indicated that they're expecting him to return to practice. So it looks like they're going to be near full health, at least from that standpoint. I would say, Paul, the biggest development is, according to multiple reports, Keenan Allen, their top wide receiver, he was put on the COVID reserve list, and then ESPN's Adam Schefter said that he tested positive. Now, it depends on, of course, the vaccination status. Can he get two negative tests in 48 hours? But I would say if there's anyone iffy at this point, I think it'd be Keenan Allen more so than anybody else. Yeah, and Keenan Allen, I mean, holy smokes. When you look at his numbers across the board, nearly 1,000 yards receiving already this year, and tied for second in the NFL in terms of receptions at almost 90. (laughs) I mean, productivity, that's his middle name. So uh, I I don't think uh, the Giants would be missing him uh, should he be unavailable. But that doesn't take away from the fact that uh, Williams is still there. Eckler, obviously, incredibly productive out of the backfield, even more so as a receiver than he is as a running back. Uh, Although he could still run the ball. Don't don't let me diss him in terms of being a ground gainer. He, he, He is a good running back, but tremendously versatile, kind of like along the lines of a poor man's Kamara. Into some degree. Well, I think your point is well taken. Look at the numbers and the way they utilize him within that offense. He has 56 receptions. That's second behind Keenan Allen. And he already has seven receiving touchdowns, Paul. Mm-hmm. That's tied for the lead with Mike Williams. So, yeah. Whether or not you want to call him a poor man's Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler is a very dangerous and versatile player. He's not so poor, right? (laughs) No, that's really where I was going with it. So, you know, the Giants certainly need to be aware of him because it's not as if the other thing with Eckler that I think is important to note, there are some running backs that I would argue are like safety valves, Paul, for the quarterback. They dump it off and they figure, all right, we'll get some production. Eckler, they build in opportunities yes. to get him the ball out in open space. Well, that's why and I that's use a the Camara, difference. I yeah. use the Camara comparison because that's part of what they do. He's not just a checkdown guy. Exactly. And that's more of a reason why, similar to the way we were talking about with respect to the Dolphins and even Tampa Bay. To me, a game like this, especially when you know the running back is heavily involved as a receiver, it's the tackling. That's critical because there's a distinct difference between dumping it off to Eckler on a screen or whatever it may be and him getting four yards compared to maybe he gets eight and now the Chargers are facing a second and two instead of a second and six. There's a distinct difference between those two. So the tackling is going to be extremely important 
especially when the running back is heavily involved in the passing game. Yeah, and quite frankly, let's not kid ourselves, uh, Justin Herbert makes good decisions, especially for a guy of, of his youth. He plays the game like an experienced veteran and understands exactly what he's got to do with the ball. He's very good with the play-action pass. He's very good at finding the right guy. This guy's, this guy's really, really good. It, it's no wonder that you know the year before he came out, he was the number one prospect on most draft boards. And then after that subpar final season uh, that he had in school, he kind of dropped a little bit. Well, I think the Chargers are pretty happy the way it worked out. I would say he had a fantastic rookie season last year. He's essentially picked up where he left off. And the other thing that the Chargers did, which I think makes it even more promising, is this offseason, I'd probably say the Chargers more so than any other team were very aggressive in saying we need to make sure that we have our issues settled in the trenches. And they went out between free agency and the draft, and they brought in guys that have stabilized that force, and that's another big reason why. Because if you've noticed, Paul, the last few quarterbacks that had strong rookie campaigns had a bit of a sophomore slump. I don't want to say that they went to the opposite end of the spectrum, but the numbers dipped a little. You look at Herbert. Herbert's numbers are pretty much steady compared to what he did last season. I understand that he benefited from playing a lot as a rookie because Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately, had that punctured lung earlier in the season last year. But that's what I look for. Baker, remember, Baker's stats dipped a little bit and mm -hmm. you know some other guys in recent history. I think a big reason why Herbert has remained steady is he's working with an even better offensive line this year than what he had in front of him as a rookie. And remember, Herbert, his numbers as a rookie – were unreal when facing pressure last year. His efficiency was through the roof. So I think the Chargers said to themselves once Brandon Staley came in, and remember, Brandon Staley's a former quarterback. That's what makes him very unique. He's a defensive guy from a coaching standpoint. He played quarterback during his playing career, so he does see it through the quarterback lens. And I'm sure one of the things he told the front office, Tom Telesco, their GM, was, hey, if we can improve slightly the offensive line in front of this guy after what he did as a rookie, who knows what we could do in terms of where we could take this offense, and I think you're seeing those results this season. Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, he's an incredible talent. That, that's where 100%. it all starts, okay? Sure. But on top of that, look where he played, okay? I mean, Lance, he was in a pro-style quarterback and was groomed to be in the NFL from the very minute he started taking snaps in college. And that was one of the reasons why I think most people who were really, really high on him – we're like, all right, this guy's going to be pro-ready. He's going to be the next superstar. I think when, when we were talking about quarterbacks coming out of school three, four, five years ago, Herbert was the guy that most people, at least most intelligent people, had their eyes on that he was going to be the next great one. And that's exactly what he's turned out to be. There was no misfire here, unlike so many people who misfired on people like Sam Darnold. Well, but I think at the same time, as we've seen across the NFL, the quarterback could be great if the environment's not no equal to the talent. You could very well take a step back. So I think for Herbert, you had two things working out very well. As you mentioned, you're talking about, first of all, he was a multi-year starter at Oregon, okay? So even if you had some concerns, you were bringing in somebody that didn't just flash for a year in college, right? You were bringing in somebody that had a vast array of experience there. So that was a positive. And then on top of that, even though he's had two coordinators and two head coaches, I think in terms of the personnel the Chargers brought in this season, I think they said, hey, we've got our franchise guy. At least we believe we have him in the short sample size we saw. Now let's make sure we protect him. And you see now they're reaping the rewards of that. So I think it was a combination of other factors. But yes, 100%. He brought a very unique and polished skill set to the Chargers that you don't necessarily see in all young quarterbacks. Well, and, and all you really had to do, and I know stats don't tell the whole story, but when he was at Oregon and, and he, you know, he was basically, I mean, he, he played all four years he was there. It yeah. wasn't like he was just a part-timer. But look, if you recall his interception to touchdown ratio, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was nearly four to one, if I recall, when he came out of school. And that's just like, it lights up your eyes, man. You see that, and it's like, okay, uh, this guy's smart. He doesn't put the ball in harm's way. 
we've already got an indication that he knows what he's doing and he's not going to be a gambler and he's not going to make a lot of those stupid mistakes that a lot of these other guys make. This was a guy who had a lot going for him, and he has totally reached his potential, and he's going to be even better. He's he's the real thing. And, I look, I'm looking forward to watching him on Sunday. I know that I'd like to see the Giants, obviously, corral him as much as they can, but I think it's fun to watch Herbert play. I enjoyed watching the, the tapes when he was at Oregon, when he was coming out of school, and I have no reason to think that I would not enjoy watching him every Sunday in the NFL if I was lucky enough to get Chargers games on television. Yeah, he's a fun player to watch. I'm he really wholeheartedly is. with you. 95 touchdowns, 23 interceptions, by the way, in the four years at Oregon. That's pretty close to 4-1. to one. Yeah. Well, he had his final year, Paul, 32 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Those are Aaron Rodgers' numbers in terms of touchdown-to-interception ratio, if you apply it to the NFL level. The most interceptions Herbert ever had in a single season was 8, and that was his junior year when he threw 29 touchdowns. So, yeah, but yet, he's been you know steady. what's funny, Lance? As a senior, his stock actually dropped a tad. People thought that after his junior year, he was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft. And then when he came out the following season, his stock had taken a little bit of a, of a dent in the armor, which was but, surprising to me because, you know, I don't know what there is not to like about this guy. Well, if memory serves me correct, Paul, the reason why also his stock took a hit, it actually really wasn't about production. It was There was a lot of speculation that he wasn't a good leader in the locker room. He was too quiet. He wouldn't take command of the offense. I know there was a lot of chatter about that, which obviously turned out to be a bunch of you-know-what. <laughs> yeah, Because that I don't out. think anyone in the Chargers huddle last season was like, oh, what's up with this kid? He doesn't know how to run an offense. Yeah. You know, he whispers. He's, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. That yeah. was put to rest relatively quickly. That, to me, is, I think, what maybe dropped his stock as opposed to the production because the numbers, the completion percentage is clearly extremely steady. All right, a few reminders here before we move forward on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. You could secure your season tickets for the 2022 season today for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. You can become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. Also, you could take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants at MetLife Stadium. You can speak with a Giants suite rep now. You can also call 888-NYG-1925. And on an unrelated note, the Delta variant is spreading quickly in all areas of New York State. People who are not fully vaccinated are at greater risk from COVID-19. Protect yourself. Get vaccinated. Visit ny.gov slash get vaccinated. Or you could talk to your health care provider. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. As we look ahead to the Chargers matchup in L.A. on Sunday, let's open up the phone lines and we check in with Antonio in Manhattan who joins us. What's happening, Antonio? Lance, Paul, how you guys doing, man? Good afternoon. Doing all right. What's on your mind? So just want to touch two things for uh, uh, Jake from after, but real quick, just want to say this offense, like I'm tired of seeing the Giants keep running the inside dives and the, and the, and the inside zone when the box is full. I mean, like, we had three plays where we ran outside zone or outside runs that they were the big run plays. And I'm just wondering why the Giants don't run that more often. Lance, if you want me to take it, I'm sorry. No, I'll let you take it. I I lost part of the commercial. I mean, part of the uh, question. Did you say something? Outside zone runs he was talking about. Right. You wanted to know why they don't run outside more? Correct. Was that the, the question? That's what I thought you said because yeah. you they yeah, had yeah. the back-to-back runs of over 20 and like 15 yards yep. on consecutive yep. runs to the to the uh, edge, and yep. then and that was it. And and yeah, they're, look, they're, they're I'm, sure no, they're no more. yeah. Now here's the thing though, when you're going up again. Now I, I let me just say this: I understand your question and I think it's valid. Now when you're going up against a team that's got tremendous speed like the Dolphins do, usually. Running to the outside is not a great idea because you're, you're giving more steps to the horizontal part of your game, and as you spread things out to the sideline, they're probably going to chase you down. That's usually not the way to go. Now, why did the Giants hit those two runs for big plays? Obviously, the blocking was on par. They did what they had to do. They cleared the lane and the back, in each case Barkley, and then Booker were able to break a good, a good chunk of yardage. Now, 
I can't tell you why they didn't go back to it at all. But, yeah. again, under normal circumstances, you don't necessarily want to run to the edge against a speedy defense. That's, that's just not the usual way to go. Well, so the I other thing is, for example, like that. this week, would you want to run towards Joey Bosa off the edge? You know, you have to ask yourself those situations when you have a really good edge guy who can help seal off the edge, not just in terms of getting after the quarterback, but also stopping the run. So, I mean, well, every week it's going to change from that standpoint. eight or nine-man box, I would love to see them still run outside because what happens is that you cut half, half of the field off for the defenders who are on the backside of the play. Now they have to trail it on the upward, not, right. not directly go to the line of scrimmage. Well, the, uh, the other answer to this is that the Giants don't really have a very athletic offensive line. If you're going right. to you, you know, ask Nate Solder uh, and, yeah. and Will Hernandez to actually get out horizontally to try to set up that playoff in the edge, you're probably right. asking them to do things that they're not great at doing. One thing real quick about Jake Fromm, guys, that I wanted to pull, tell you guys is that I saw a highlight tape for like 12 minutes of Jake Fromm from college, and I noticed that he has great anticipation with the ball. Um, he throws it really quick. Obviously, he had like a curtain of an of a offensive line. He never got touched. But then I saw, I saw all of his preseason games with the Lions, and I can tell you guys, I mean, with the, with the Bills, and I can tell you guys that I am the number one fan for Jake Fromm. I'm in the bandwagon. I, I'm leading that bandwagon. <laughs> Everything that I saw, I was in love with. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm expecting big things. Everybody I know has, loves the yeah. backup quarterback who's holding the clipboard. Just remember yeah. that. Hey, I, listen, I'm in. I'm in. I mean, I normally want to say that. I was just like, I don't know why I'm looking at this, but then I loved it. Um, I just think it's, gonna, it's too early. He, he has to learn an entire playbook or most of a playbook in, in sort of so few days. But I just want to see him close out the rest of the season, hopefully. And uh, that's all I got, guys. I'll see you guys. All right. Appreciate the phone call. Remember, you know, the other thing is, does Mike Glennon get out of concussion protocol? While right now it looks like Jake Fromm is in line, it's not crazy to think that Glennon could get cleared before the end of the weekend. Joe Judge was actually asked about that, that if Glennon does get cleared, they would anticipate that Mike Glennon would start against the Chargers. Right. So I think people just need to realize, as it stands right now, Glennon's through concussion protocol. So because his status is up in the air, you have to lean more towards Jake Fromm. But if we get to Friday, Paul, or heck, if we get to Saturday and Glennon gets the green light, I would expect Mike Glennon's going to start against the Chargers. Right, but there's no question. He gets the green, he goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think, unfortunately, the way things have gone for the Giants this year, can we ever assume things are going to go well? No, not at all. I'm just saying that for the last caller to get excited about seeing Jake Fromm, oh, yeah. I think we just need to understand there is that outside chance that Glennon does get cleared. And then sure. all of this talk and chatter about Jake Fromm gets thrown to the wayside. That's all yeah. I was pretty I, much I, getting I will at. say this. You know, I, I remember watching Fromm when he was at Georgia, and he checks all the boxes intangible-wise. Smart player, um, nice release, gets rid of the ball, knows where he's going with it, reads defense as well, poised, pocket presence. All the intangibles really work in his favor. Now, he's barely 6'2". I, I think that's what they list him at, but he's barely that tall, all right? He, so he's not very big and very strong. He does not have a cannon of an arm. It's an adequate arm. So from his skill, and of course he's not, he's not fleet of foot. He's not really speedy in terms of being able to run around either. So this is a guy who I remember when he came out of school uh, last year, I figured he'd be a, a middle-round draft pick, which he turned out to be, fifth round with the Bills, and he would have a chance to be an NFL backup. That's, that's how I graded him out, simply because of the, the size, the speed, the arm strength. Those were the things that you had to downgrade him on because all of the other things, the intangibles, he did very, very well, Lance. You'd have to give him pluses on all of those grades. So do I think he can function? Absolutely I do. But there are limitations to, to the physical skills that he's going to bring to the table, and this is the National Football League. 
uh, uh, and he's not going against college teams where Georgia's offensive line as one of the powerhouses of the SEC and one of the powerhouses in the NCAA are going to give him a lot of uh, good things to work with. Not to mention the run game that he also was able to rely on, too, when he was at Georgia. So, you know, he had ideal circumstances. And that's why I go back to environment in NFL is very different than somehow the environment that you get to work with in college. So, you know, that really defines how a quarterback can perform. But, you know, from his standpoint, listen, it would be his first NFL regular season opportunity. I'm sure he'd be chomping at the bit. But it's all going to come down to what the offensive line could do for him. And then, like any other young quarterback, it's their decision-making. Can they realize sometimes it's better, Paul, to just check the ball down as opposed to try to go for the home run? Take what the defense gives you. Don't try to force it into double coverage because maybe you get down early and you're trying to play hero ball. That, to me, is also something that sometimes a quarterback, you don't really truly know what they're going to do until you throw them in that environment. And the reason I bring that up, because you were bringing up what he worked with around Georgia. I don't know off the top of my head, but how many times do you think Jake Fromm played from behind during the course of his college career? Probably no, not a whole heck of a lot. Okay. And I, would, I would add to you, Lance, I wonder how many times he was sacked or even hit when he was playing there. There we go. I mean, that's another one. So my point is, when it's ideal, hey, everything's great. When you now throw adversity the way of a young quarterback, then it's also very interesting to see how they act under those circumstances. So that would be, to me, and you know that's not really a strategy thing. Once again, that to me is more of the decision-making of the quarterback and whether or not they can handle that. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Let's head back to the phone lines. Pete is on Staten Island. He joins us. What's happening, Pete? How you doing, guys? How are you today? Hi. Doing all right, Pete. What do you got for us? Okay, um, uh, Lance and Paul, you're both correct. Uh, you know, bottom line is, look, I, I didn't call about this, but if you don't have an offensive line, I don't care who's, who's, who's the quarterback. It doesn't really matter, okay? And we all know that, okay? Um, all right, but I wanted to go into uh, Joe Judge with these comments, these ridiculous comments he's made over the last couple of days. And um, number one, and Paul, I actually tweeted this out to you this morning. All right, because, you know what, if you're not going to throw your guys under the bus because you looked at the tape and you don't like, uh, you know, what you saw or whatever behind closed doors, you're going you're gonna to say what you say, and that's all well and good. I get it. I understand that, okay? Uh, there's no reason to come out in the media and, uh, and throw them under the bus to the media, right? I get that part of it. But here's the part I don't understand. What I don't understand is the... Uh, coach speak of, oh, I saw a lot of positive things out there, and I saw some uh, some uh, great plays, great, these were great plays uh, today uh, out there. There's always out there. I saw some great plays out there. Okay? So what is wrong with him to turn around and tell the fan base what place is he talking about? What is wrong with him turning around and just saying, okay, um, I see all the positives. Okay, tell us one. Tell us one. You know, what exactly are you talking about? Because certainly the fan base doesn't see it. We don't see it. So I I don't understand what the problem is. If you're going to say something like that, then back it up with specifics. What are we talking about that you see that we don't see? Well, because it's it's clear as day, and and you're not throwing anybody under the bus. You're being specific. This is what I like. I like the way this offensive lineman uh, blocked this play. I like the way this uh, receiver is running his routes. I like all of these. So tell us what you see, because we don't. I, you, and, and, you... I, and I understand your point, and I think it's valid for you to ask that or want that. I I do think. That during the course of the of the call, and I don't I don't know if the, I'm sure the Giants.com people actually put it up. Uh, he referred to a number of times that they got the ball downfield and that they they made sure that Barkley and Booker were out in the routes and they did take a couple of shots to Slayton. He did offer uh, a few crumbs of specifics, so I would I would kind of debate that you know he didn't offer anything. He did offer a few of what he thought. Were, were positives, but, but I'm not really here to argue that point with you. I will say this. I get it that the people outside the locker room 
are frustrated, disgusted, and they'd like to hear different types of responses. But the truth of the matter is that nothing he says inside the locker room to his players or at the practice field to his players is going to be the same as what he tells the media or the fans. And frankly, it's irrelevant what he tells the media. It's irrelevant what he tells the fans. What's really relevant is what he tells his players. And I look, I was around Bill Parcells, and I know how Bill used the media. He would push buttons. Yeah. He would push yeah. buttons yeah. by yeah. saying Club things 13. in the press room. Okay? Club he 13, would do that. Right, Paul? Okay, yeah, well, that was that was just something that Bill did. That was his philosophy. He was going to push buttons on his players at practice, during the game, and in the press room by using the media. Now, that was Bill's way. You can't really do that today. It doesn't work as well with today's modern athlete. That's why I've, well, talked, to, I've talked to Parcells about this. I've said, Bill, you can't coach today. And he's like, you're right. There's no way they would let me head coach today because none of the stuff that he did would work. So Joe Judge's philosophy is that I'm not going to say anything negative about these guys, these players, outside of the locker room or the practice field. He's allowed to have that philosophy. I really don't care if you like it or anybody else does. He's allowed to have that philosophy. I don't have to like it either. I mean, Pete, the bottom line is nobody wins games in the media anyway. So it really doesn't matter at the end of the day what he says. No, 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 no. What you're misunderstanding is I'm not talking about the negatives. He was the one that said, I saw a lot of positives. Okay, tell us. I'll tell you right now, I brought up the transcript, and yeah. if you go back and you can listen to the presser, it's on Giants.com, and I'm not bringing this up to defend him, it's just when you say specifics, I'm reading you an exact quote. He said, quote, there were opportunities for catch and runs, we got the thing out and did that, but then also pushing down the field, so Kenny makes some big catches, Evan makes some big catches, there are some things that turn around, you've got to make those plays and be able to make these plays in critical situations and in tough games, end quote. So, I mean, that's a certain section. He referenced Evan Ingram and Kenny Gallaudet. You wanted specifics, that's what he referenced. There are crumbs there, Peter, if you're willing to sift through it. There are crumbs there that he does refer to. Now, it may not be a big stake a full plate of food for you. But there are crumbs there that he has offered. Well, that's fine. The problem is there, Paul, is that I personally, and quite frankly, maybe I missed it, but in his game, this is right after the game. He did not mention a name. Right after the game. Now, he might have done it yesterday. No, he did. No, that was the transcript. No, hold on, Pete. Let me clarify. I read you from the transcript of the post-game presser at the podium right following the Dolphins game. That was not from Monday's conference call with the media. That was right after the game. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I must have missed it. Okay, because it's I know understandable. That, Listen, know, well, again, there I, wasn't a lot there, so I can appreciate if you did gloss <laughs> over it. I'm not. I'm not and trying I get to be that. funny and, with you. It's, yeah, it's, and Pete, it's I'm. Tough. I, I'm not expecting you to memorize everything he said, but what I'm saying is is that there were specifics, and I get it. That's not what you want to hear after the game, and you're entitled to feel that way. But my response is sort of in line with Paul. You can't name me any coach in NFL history, whether their team put up 40 points or put up three, that they ever said what I told the media after the game was the reason why the next three weeks we played great football. It just it doesn't work like that. This may or may not help you, Pete. I'm going to give you one other thing. I don't want to belabor the call, but I do want to give you a complete uh, piece of information. Now, look, I I have been on the the sideline behind the bench, uh, specifically during the preseason games and during home games. I'm down there in the fourth quarter as I prepare for the postgame show to, to get a player. And I will tell you that Joe Judge is very much like some other head coaches I know who have been very successful, who insist on coming back to his sideline and his bench. And he talks to those guys, and he'll get into them, and he'll yell, and he'll scream, and he'll offer direction. And there are other head coaches, and you know what? I'll say it. The previous two head coaches on the Giants bench did not do that. They were too immersed in holding their offensive play cards that – they were so concerned about their play cards and their play sheets that they did not pay much attention to the rest of the team when they were on the bench or on the sideline. This guy does. 
He is in mm-hmm. constant communication with his players face-to-face throughout the course of the game. I, I for one, appreciate that. I think that's the way to go. That's why well, offensive think, coordinators should call the plays and not a head coach. Well, I agree with that. But you know what? Uh, uh, you guys answered me, and it's no problem there. I mean, you know, to me, the bottom line is if you're, if you're going to say something, you know, positive, like I said, if you're going to say something positive about the players or, or, or specific uh, uh, plays or something, uh, you know, pertaining to the entire game or whatever, well, when the fans are frustrated and everything else and, and, and we don't see it, just tell us about it. Tell no, us and why I get we're that, progressing. Pete. I understand why we're progressing. Just say, just don't say we're progressing. Because we don't know what Pete. that means. No, Pete, I, I, I get that. And listen, we're going to let you go on that note. I think All the right. problem I is. Thank you, guys. You got Take it. Take care. The problem is, is that the headline after the game says we're progressing. But then nobody quotes the meat and potatoes using Paul's food analogy. And there wasn't maybe a lot on the plate. But there was a few pieces of meat and a small fragment of potatoes. Nobody bothers to give those crumbs, those details. So, therefore, the headline becomes there was progress. And he did reference specifics. And, once again, I'm not selling it to everybody saying that this should be encouraging news and everybody should run wild with it. It's just that there were specifics there. You just you would have had to listen to the entire press conference as opposed to reading a headline or a story that has one random quote, taken out of context. Lance, and that's I, the problem in today's society. I, I Again, I, this is an important subject because I know I've been getting plastered on Twitter about this subject. This is one of the things that seems to be a hot spot right now. But I would say this as a matter of explanation to people. Number one, there were not a lot of positives for him to dwell on anyway. Sure. So absolutely. if it seems like there's only crumbs that he's given out and you're missing them, that's because there really are only crumbs to talk about when you talk about the offensive side of the ball. That's number one. That's just reality. Number two, if Judge were to stand up there and stress those offensive crumbs, do you know how badly he would be mocked by the media in that room for trying to, in their minds, deflect the negativism. Well, he was the, to a certain degree, right? no, Paul. He was already mocked, I would say, to a certain degree. Okay, but how much worse would it be if he did stress the few positive crumbs that there were on offense? If he made a bigger deal about it so that people would be able to recognize and hear about those things, he would be, he would get mocked five times worse or ten times worse because sure. the media would be standing there saying, you really pushing the, the Galladay first down catch as one of the big plays of the game? That's ridiculous. They would get on him even worse. So, so he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. 100%. No, no disagreement there. I completely understand. And that's why I think he has to sort of walk that fine line in terms of how he navigates that. But I think he's coming from, and I think he further explained this on Monday's conference call, that, and he even said this previously, he's not going to throw his own guys under the bus. So he's not going to be the guy, Paul, that comes to the podium after the game and says, our offense sucks. He's just not going to do that. And that this guy has to do a better job. He's just not going to do that. He may say that privately to the guys. He's just he's not going to say that to the court of public opinion. And he has every right to do that. Now, I understand our last caller, where he's coming from, and I agree with the point that I don't like when people talk in cliches, Paul. I don't like generic lines in general, Mm -hmm. whether it's a coach, a player. It's tiring. It's trite. It's enough already. So I get it when you listen to a press conference and you don't want to hear the generics. Well, we played hard. We didn't execute. So I understand. I'm all for specifics. But all I'm saying is is that there were some specifics. To me, it just got extremely buried because, let's be honest, after a performance like that, no one is interested in discussing the details. Everybody is more interested in nitpicking the money line or the money quote to tell the whole story. You're absolutely right. And so so the, the media isn't going to be, to be frank with you, they're not going to be much interested in the small positives. Exactly. They're, they're, they just can't wait to set fire to the burning building, which yeah. is already not in good shape as it is. So, so anyway, yeah, let's go back no, to the calls. We will. I just want what I want to add to just wrap this up is that's why to the last caller's point, if you're that type of person and you want the specifics, my best recommendation is if you're that interested, 
Take the time and watch the full presser. The Giants are very good. They put all the postgame pressers up on Giants.com and watch it. And don't rely on a clip or a quick summary because you're not going to get what you're yearning for. You're not going to get through that venue. It's just not feasible. No, no. The the beat writers aren't going to give you that. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Jamal is in Dallas joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jamal? What's going on, Paul and Lance? Thanks for taking my call. Hi. You got it. What's on your mind? So, a few things. I can see why a lot of Giants fan base is excited for the Jake Fromm experiment. It's probably some, hopefully a, a, some form of inspiration of what, what he may be or may not be, but it's, it's something, I guess, to hope to be positive on, you know, because right now there's not a lot of that in Giants world, to be honest. Um, so with that being said, at first I was very critical of the offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, but now I'm think I'm just critical of the offensive staff as a whole. Um, I don't know if it's so much on the coaches on the offensive scheme or is it on our receivers who can't seem to get open or are off for whatever reason. Um, I watched a little bit of the highlights of the last game. I, mean, I actually watched the game and then I looked through the highlights and there's like a few plays. That's, I mean, I'm going to put it on the quarterback. Mike Glennon didn't see, you know, um, there was a play where Farrell was open. Um, he could have had there was a play where uh, Ross was open. And then there was a play he could have dumped it off, like Lance was saying earlier, to Devontae Baker. I think it was toward the end of, end of the game. We're like second and 23 when we had those two crazy sacks or something crazy. And that easily could have been a 10- to 15-yard game. I'm, I'm, I'm just concerned with is it the scheme that we're running that's not working for our players? And I know we're missing some at, some some key players on our team, but to me it just doesn't seem like it's fitting or working for anybody on our offense. And 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 I'm starting to think it's a problem with the offensive staff, not so much a particular individual within that group. Well, you look at the last game about the Dolphins. I mean, to me, one play that shows you why there's multiple issues: the one where Evan Ingram got behind the defense. And Mike Glennon and him could not connect. And I don't know if it was Evan ran the wrong route or Mike and him were on the same page because they didn't practice much together. But, I mean, that's another example of Evan got in a position where he was open, just didn't execute. Is that because of the scheme or is that because you had two players that weren't on the same page, Jamal? So, I mean, that would be an example where I would say multiple issues arise, not necessarily one particular avenue. Yeah, you you know what it looked like? And I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here. But it looked like a quarterback who was playing the season opener because he had not had enough time of getting his timing down with the receiving core. And that's to be expected because Mike Glennon's the backup. And is it any wonder that maybe a half a dozen of, of his throws on Sunday were off the mark to the point where had they been on the mark, they could have been very productive plays? But, again, you're talking about a guy who's been, you know, with the number twos, you know, as a backup in practice all season long, and he himself had even said to the media that he had barely thrown any any passes to the Giants' starting offensive receivers and tight ends during the course of the week. You know, up until yeah, this off, past week, he started off so hot. He started off so hot the first quarter. He was like eight for eight. No, I, I know. I, 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 and and that was great the way he started out. But again, you have to you have to consider that's a small sample size. Anybody can be eight for eight in a small sample size. But as the game went on, you know there were chances for him to hit plays, and he didn't do it. And but but that's see that's why I'll be honest with you. I find it very very difficult to discuss general offensive issues coming off of the Dolphins game. I really do because. A, we know that Glennon was going up against a really, really tall mountain to climb. That's number one because the Dolphins' defense is really good. And number two, he hadn't had timing down with most of the the the, uh, the targets. And number three, we honestly have no idea when he may have started to get dinged during the course of that game. Joe Judd said they had no indication during the game that, that he had had any concussion symptoms. But how do we really know that? All we know is that after the game, Glennon got examined, and they said, okay, he's got a concussion. But, Paul, this is not a Glennon issue. or uh, This is not a Glennon issue. I'm not blaming it on Glennon. I mean, I'm blaming it on this, 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 the whole process. It seems yeah, but like how can we do before. that when the trigger man in the offense clearly had some irregularities during the course of the day? Because you see we what had I'm eight saying? weeks of this. 
But we I get, yeah, but here's the this. point, though. Let, let's say Daniel Jones was running that offense on Sunday. I'd like to believe that they would have been more productive. I don't know for sure, but I'd like to think they would have. I don't think it would. I think we'll still and that's, see you, And that's issues. fair. You can say that. We can agree to disagree. I think that so, Jones so would have done example, better. But how much so better? I can't quantify it. So, for example, on the scheme, we're on, I think it was in the early in the game, we're on the 15-yard line, right? We're on mm-hmm. the 15-yard line. And we have Evan Ingram in, and we have Caden, no, Kyle Rudolph in, and they're in there blocking. There's three, D, there's three or four DBs, and we got a two-man route. That's when Glenn threw the ball in double coverage to, um, to um, Galladay, right, with Wyden being incomplete, almost intercepted, but incomplete. It was three to four DBs and two receivers. Like, I'm trying to figure out when we're going into the end zone, how we only have two receivers on a row? Like, to me, that's, that makes no sense. Well, I think that goes back to, Jamal, the concerns about blocking. And that's why you're seeing the tight ends being utilized under those circumstances. Well, Jamal, I, don't have, I don't have an issue with that. But my issue is you have Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph who are receiving tight tight ends, correct? Some point, some of them should have been either somewhere in some type of somewhere in that position, especially if there's only three DBs out there. I get you need help, but it shouldn't take that long. I, I don't know. It's just I'm starting to see the offense is just crumbling week by week, and I don't see it getting better. Um, I see it getting worse, and I think that's why we're looking for the Jake from. Real quick before I go, didn't Slayton play with Fromm, or did they miss each other in years? No, Darius Slayton was at Auburn. Auburn. Jake Fromm went to Georgia. Yes, right. Slayton is Auburn. So they were not at the same school. SEC. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right, Jamal. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks for weighing in. Let's uh, move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. John is in Maine joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you Hi. doing? Doing right. Good. What do you got good, for us? Good. I just wanted to talk a little bit about Saquon's running. It seems like for four years he's been uh, running into visitors in the backfield. And so I was uh, hoping they would try uh, pitch-outs to him. Now, I remember something I saw with the Cleveland Browns when they had Jim Brown, and they, did, they pitched out in a way I've never seen anybody do since. Uh, Frank Ryan, the quarterback, was under center in those days, of course. He would whip the ball, like, at tackle or further out without even looking. They yep. must have practiced a thousand I'm, times. I'm familiar with the play. Right, left or right, just whip it out there, and that would give Brown a chance to get away from the traffic. So I was hoping they would get the ball out to Saquon that way, not exactly that way if they didn't want to, but somehow pitch it out. Yeah, it was kind of a pseudo-flat pass, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, remember, he, he pitched out immediately. Yes, I, it's, it, right. It, like I say, a pseudo-flat pass, because in theory, yeah. schematically, that's kind of what you wind up with by the time he gets the ball. I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's going to do a whole lot of good because the mm-hmm. Giants don't have a lot of athleticism on the edges that would help get out there to give him a block. In other mm-hmm. words, if the defense is speedy and they think they have they have a gauge on that, or if your wide receiver doesn't make the block out on the boundary, there's going to be a free defender to come up to the line of scrimmage and probably stuff it. Now, with all due respect. I mean, I know Saquon Barkley's got a lot of talent. Jim Brown intimidated people when he had the ball. I, I, there were defenders who didn't even want to tackle him. Also, I mean, come the on. game you has know become a little about. bit more convoluted and complex since Jim Brown played, too, in fairness. No disrespect to Jim Brown, but the defensive schemes that teams are going up against sure. and the level of the edge rushers, okay? Like, Joey Bosa wasn't playing Jim Brown. Okay? And there's a lot more speed on the field today. Sure. Exactly. You know, so, so I, I don't remember. necessarily – here's what I will tell you. If you want to be creative with Barkley, here's what I will tell you, okay? When Barkley came to the Giants, one of the things that people talked about was that he didn't have a fullback. He didn't run out of the eye with a fullback at Penn State. And he was this awesome, you know, world-level project. And people were like, okay, well, when he comes to the NFL, do you think they'll use a fullback? And so one of the things that the Giants did, Barkley got a bunch of tape of the Minnesota Vikings and Adrian Peterson, who used to run out of an eye with a fullback. And Barkley studied that whole offseason going into his rookie year with the Giants of running behind a fullback. And 
unfortunately, most of his career since he's been here, they really haven't gone with the fullback. They've continued to go with the one back. If you want to try something different, and I'm all for this, because I do think at times you just need to change things up, especially when they're not working. I would say, you know what? If if that offensive line can't run block, and I think the uh, the evidence is pretty apparent by this point of the season, don't you? Yeah. I would get yeah. a fullback in there and say, okay, you know what? If we don't have the tight ends that can necessarily block it and we're not going to go with the six-man line, which, by the way, the Patriots did last night against the Bills, and I could hug Bill Belichick for doing what he did because it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. That's why he's the genius and the emperor that he is because he took a page out of the old-school playbook and it worked. But having said that, if you don't want to do that or you don't think your sixth offensive lineman can block it, get a fullback in there. I don't care if people know that we're running the football. Get the fullback in there. Let him help pick out the lane and tell Saquon, you run right behind this guy's back. That's it. Done. I mean, the the other thing that they can do more is involve Saquon as a receiver, John, if you're looking for him to get a little bit more out in open space. Unfortunately, had the case of the dropsies in the last game. But, you know, if you could get a good one-on-one matchup for Saquon, you could take advantage of that if you're not run-blocking well. But the execution just wasn't where it needed to be in the last game. No, I agree with both of you. The only point I was trying to make, or as you, as you described the uh, plays today, is at least get him out there with one or two guys after him instead of like three or four <laughs> staring at him. <laughs> Of course. Well, and that's why I think through the passing game and and other mechanisms, you certainly could try to accomplish that. And I appreciate the phone call, John. But, you know, once again, it still takes the execution of the players in order to accomplish that. And Saquon, remember, he spoke to the media after the game and he said, hey, I got to catch the ball. There were two opportunities to, hey, maybe make a more manageable third down or whatever it may be. So, you know, they had him out in open space. Unfortunately, he just wasn't there to make the grab. Let's head back to the phone line. Sean is in Maryland joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sean? What's going on, fellas? Doing right, Sean. What I do you got for us? I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with Paul more about the whole uh, fullback concept. Um, so, yeah, right on the money with that. What I wanted to do was switch gears for a minute. And on yesterday's show, you guys were talking about how can we fix New York Giants football and – there's so many different things going on, but one of the things that will help is if we cut out the political aspect of Giants football. And what I mean by that is when we're hiring people and you guys do a great job of covering it, we'll say, oh, well, well, this coach was friends of this person or they played back in this program or this coach knew that coach who knew this friend and now they're on our team. Like, obviously, you know, we already lost uh, Jason Garrett. More people are probably going to be gone because it's necessary. But when we hire people, I just think that we need to hire the best person for the job versus hiring our friends. Because as a fan, I don't care who likes who or who's politically correct or rubs elbows or plays golf with. I just want to see the Giants win. I want to go out to a bar and give a complete stranger who's wearing the Giants shooter from a high five when we score a touchdown. So, I mean, we have people like Nate Solder, who's still playing with us. And I understand you guys had the argument the other day about who's better as far as perks. But right now, our season is, is, is pretty much over. If we have this new Fromm kid who can play and we can see what he can do, put Matt Purdy there. Let's see what he can do. You know, let's get some of these guys some reps because we need to figure out who we're going to keep or who we're going to cut next year. And there's a couple of good people who are on, uh, on the contract season this year. So... Well, I mean, that's all going to take place during the course of the offseason. I think we've pretty much discussed the fact that Rob Sale is on the record saying that he wants Matt Paird to be more physical. So, I mean, at this point, there's really nothing else to add to that conversation. If that's how the coaching staff views him, then obviously it's a challenge right now for him to get on the field under those circumstances. As far as, Sean, your point about, you know, it's the who's who of football – First of all, I mean, I think the coaching community is small enough that a lot of people know each other in the football community. So you're always going to have connections no matter who you ultimately hire. And what happens is you normally want to talk to people that know of the candidate 
so that you get an idea about whether or not you're hiring the right person. I think it's very hard to avoid. And once again, my interpretation of what you're saying is, hey, bring in somebody that has absolutely no ties to anybody. I just think you'd be hard-pressed to find that because the coaching community is so small and there's a lot of overlap in the National Football League. Yeah, I think uh, Lance makes a good point. I think the, the, the thing that you want to keep in mind, especially with today's offenses and defenses, which are so complex and, and they have so many different pieces and parts to them, you want to make sure when you're hiring a staff that the guys understand the system and that they can communicate it and teach it properly. I don't necessarily know if the guy's got to be your friend or if it's got to be somebody you've coached with in the past. But I do think it's necessary for them to understand the system and the scheme that you're going to run. That part of it, I think, has got to hold true. Again, I don't think he's got to be your pal or your buddy or a past coworker. But if he doesn't understand and know your system and your scheme, chances are that's just not a good hire. All right, Sean. Appreciate the phone call. Appreciate it. Yep. We'll let you go on that note. And obviously, there's going to be decisions that are going to be made this offseason. The priority right now is for the Giants to finish out the season and see how things go before they need to address any other areas. But that is going to wrap things up for us here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be back up and running again on Wednesday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, as the team is out in Arizona preparing for their upcoming game against the Chargers in L.A. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com, and we'll speak to you on Wednesday right here on Big Blue Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.